Welcome to the show. She's Amy Out. She's Scotty Kiffer. Welcome to the show. This week's guest has spent decades in the Canadian country music world. He's had uh, many singles and he's now celebrating the almost release of his ninth studio album, The Secret to Life. Yeah, he's got a brand new grandson too, which is pretty exciting. He has been a massive influence uh, on my career and in my development as a singer, as a songwriter. Uh, I'm just such a huge fan. Let's welcome to the show, Jamie Warren. How you doing? Well, thank you. And you, Scotty? I'm doing well as well, <laughs> sir. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the most important question I think we need to get out of the way right away is, uh, have you got your Tims? I did. And okay, that, that's what we were we were having a little joke about, because there are... <laughs> had you called me about three and a half minutes before you did, you would have heard me say... Uh, Pardon me one second. Yeah, I'll have a medium coffee, dark roast <laughs> with half decaf and just a quarter cream. Oh, I missed the half decaf part. So you're a half and oh, yeah. half and a quarter half. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And and now I've, I've learned this. This is true. I've learned to go. I'll have a, and as I said, uh, you know, dark roast with half decaf and a quarter cream. And just, I mean, the tiniest amount of cream you can. Just a touch. That's, see, I've, I've learned. Is it enough to even color it? Yeah, that's perfect, actually. If, if you just color it, I'm good with that. Okay, so here's the thing. I used to work at Tim Hortons, and yep. <laughs> and customers as precise as you. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I tried to make it a point to, uh, to get it right, but you're a tricky one, Jamie Warren. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here, here's the thing, and I appreciate that, is that I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm very polite. I go, hey, how are you doing? Sometimes even before I make my order. And I try to be precise, but not annoyingly precise. Right. Not like Starbucks uh, people. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Oh, don't get me started. Fancy, <laughs> pantsy coffee. Yeah. Oh. See, and that's where I get a little lost. As much as I, we're talking about my Tim Hortons order, and I'm kind of specific, but I, I get I don't know what a maki laki ate skim milk triple. I'll have three shots of this sweetener, not four. Um, and can you burn it yet? Yeah, flip it over, and I and, and then they go, and that'll be eleven dollars. And I go, jeez. Anyway, <laughs> almost bought a six pack for that. I know. See there. Now you're talking. That's right? a better deal. Yeah. yeah. So, so Jamie, how has um, self-isolation been treating you? I know that you are a recent grandpa. Well, we're, we're going with, at this point, um, Big J. Okay. All that, right. That was... I didn't, I, Grandpa didn't just sit right. So <laughs> I, t- I, I totally understand that. There's a bit of a joke on that. Well, what happened was... That's what Katie, my daughter, uh, Zenon is his name. Zen is my, my grandson. And so she said, well, what do you want to be called? And, and there's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Papa to, you know, a whole bunch of different versions. And I honestly, I was just being a smart arse because that's sort of the way I rule. And I said, oh, well, you know, uh, how about Big J? <laughs> now everybody's going, well, that's goofy. Come on, Dad. Jeez, you know. And then we had the baby shower and I signed the little card, Big J. And so... Now, now this has sort of evolved into, I've got people going, you know, that might not be a bad name. <laughs> and I was, I'm totally cool with grandpa. And I was just joking. I met my biological father a few years back and we weren't mm-hmm. sure as the, you know, our relationship uh, developed and we got closer. I wasn't sure what, like I was going to let the girls, my girls kind of navigate what to call him. 
And they came up with, his name is Darren, and they came up with Papa D. So now he's Papa D, and you can be Big J, and it's like, <laughs> you guys need to start a boy band. <laughs> right. Well, I like that. Well, see, here's here's the funny thing. And now, and coming back to Katie, you now Katie and Ryan's her husband, and, and they're kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe Big J's okay. And, and what I said then, now being honest, I said, it'll all depend on what he calls me. Yeah. Be- because, like Ange... Um, uh, my wife is Angela. Is, is, and so her, her niece to this day calls her Tangie and Chen is like 22 years old. <laughs> and the reason she calls her Tangie is she couldn't say aunt Angie. Aww. And, and it, and it came out as a little kid as Tangie. <laughs> and so that's, that's her name. <laughs> and so that that's where I'm saying it depends how well Zenon sp- speaks in the beginning. <laughs> and he he may not be able to say Grandpa Jamie. It might be it might end up being Big J. That might be easier for him to say. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah. congratulations on the addition to your family anyways. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been it's been fun. Now, the connection to your original question with the COVID, um, and I think we may actually get to hold him this weekend. He's he's had all his shots uh, through to two months. So, you know, that's still and I, I'm totally into just what's ever safe for him. We, mm-hmm. We've had front porch visits and had coffees and, you know, six, eight feet apart kind of thing. So and I've seen all the face, you know, the FaceTime with him and stuff like that but it it would be kind of neat to hold him so what does the little guy take in his coffee (laughs) well apparently he's well yeah i was just gonna i was gonna say that he he gets a little grumpy occasionally (laughs) so you know maybe he will be picky (laughs) i hope he's not a starbucks kid well that's funny too is that exactly (laughs) see he definitely i suspect to be a tim hortons uh kid and then it's funny uh ryan's father and 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 I, uh, it's it's interesting because both Katie and Ryan aren't particularly sports oriented, and so Ryan's dad and I have already sort of talked about. I I suspect he'll be playing hockey, mm. and and Katie's going, "What are you talking about?" So yeah, we'll just yeah, just uh, just leave it to us. It'll be okay. <laughs> I, I suspect there will be a hockey stick at my house. Nice. So. At very least, he'll play a little golf, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, Jamie, big congratulations on your ninth studio album, The Secret to Life. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, and that will come out uh, at the I'm going to say late this summer. It was scheduled to come out in May, but the COVID thing kind of delayed that. There's a there's a and here's the funny story. The record we could have had the record done. um, But what we're missing, I'm laughing, is that there there was a photo shoot for the artwork for the album scheduled at the end of March. And, uh, well, you can sort of guess what happens. So, mm. so it's kind of hard to make an album if you don't have a picture. So that's sort of a bit of our delay. So the fun part was it gave us, I don't know, uh, a few more weeks to sit with the m- music and stuff like that. But, but we've got it all written and we, we've still got just a couple overdubs. And, and of course we've got a mix of about four or five more songs. And you're producing with Rick. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Let's talk about Rick for a second, because uh, you guys have been pretty much partners in crime your whole career, right? 
Yeah. We're talking about J. Richard Hutt, and he is the producer and engineer at Cedar Tree Recording Studios in Kitchener, Ontario. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have just, I, I grew up listening to Rick Hutt Records. And so that was, uh, you know, it was you, it was Beverly Mahood, it was Diane Chase, it was John Landry. Uh, it was really fun stuff to listen to. And so how did you guys come across each other? How did that relationship start to form? And then how did the musical collaborations start to take shape? Mm-hmm. Rick and I were trying to figure that out the other day. I think we've known each other for 38 years. Mm. And and wow. and where where it came from, okay, so I grew up in this small town called Hanover and and I had done my first recording I was 17. This this does not connect with Rick yet. It was in uh, Wingham at the Ernie King studio. Okay. And and it was just a little demo session. And anyway, I had written songs and performed through high school and Dick Nectel, there will be no uh, test on these names. D- Dick is still around. Uh, Dickie Bird, you may know him as he's, he became a child performer uh, as well. But Richard Necta was our local sort of celebrity in the Hanover area. And so I went to talk to him and I, I said, you know, Dick, what should I do? I'm going to I'm going to Kitchener. I'm going to college. And, you know, what are you thinking? And he said, well, there's a buddy of mine who's originally from Palmerston. His name is Rick Hutt. He, he's he's got a studio down there. Why don't you? He gave me Rick's number, and and while I was going to school during my first year at Conestoga, I I called him, and and literally I went over to the studio and we had a coffee, and that's how it started. I was nineteen at the time, and then we started recording together, and it it, it kind of was that simple, um, and then uh, then eventually as I got through we had one song out before i finished uh, college which was a tune called world of a child which was uh, an mor hit a, a format that doesn't exist anymore it was called middle of the road mm. and uh oh, geez, I, I don't know i'm trying to think how old i was then about 21 i think that was back in 1984 when, actually i did my research yeah. <laughs> okay and, and it was so you uh, could do the yeah, it was, well there, there you go it was see now maybe it was when i came back from memphis it was the first tune we released uh, anyway it was th- that was the, the 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 start of our relationship and then then during the 80s too like rick got me to sing demos in the studio um like we did a lot of jingles back then uh, again there won't be a test on the names it was grant cummings and myself were the two guys and then wendy davis and madonna tassie and we did we worked at waxworks a lot as well as uh cedar tree and and we were doing about a jingle a week um and we'd come in and and i, I was the new kid uh, there was a lot of le- <laughs> there's a lot of learning from my end to, to, to do like it's one thing to to, lead, to sing a lead vocal, but it's one to to create a harmony with with four voices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, thank goodness, uh, he was very patient with me, and I, I learned a lot from him um, from arrangement standpoint and and a production standpoint. And and it was really nice that he he gave me that opportunity. What was the first single that you guys recorded together? I'm pretty sure it was World of a Child. And the the funny thing about that is that there's a recorder solo, like on the intro, uh, that Doug Biggs, uh, again, Rick's (laughs) partner, another musical guy, was Rick's partner for years, who actually was a guitar player. And and he put that on one day where I wasn't there. Um, And it was it was quite a surprise. And it ended up being sort of a an integral part of the song itself. But then, then the most after that, I guess we care about us was a duet with Madonna Tassie was the first country single, which did well. And then the big hit that followed that was "Take Me Home, Mississippi," which that was, was the top like ten for you. 
Yeah, that was that was a breakthrough, and that that's you know I won uh, Country Music's New Artist of the Year back in 1985. I was 25 then, so back in the back in the old days. <laughs> Big J from back in the old days. I know, and and it was and it's funny. The award was presented to me by Carol Baker. Oh, nice. Uh, so that I know that was a big deal. Come on, Carol I love Baker. It. So okay, so you mentioned college. You went to Conestoga. What did you study there? Uh, are you ready? Broadcasting. Ah, <laughs> I know. And see, and, and I will tell you, as a precursor to what I ended up doing, it was probably one of the best choices I made. Mm-hmm. The, the Coles Notes version is I, I was a writer and I, I wanted to, I looked at getting an English degree and being an English teacher and there was no jobs. Like it was like a six or seven year wait. It's not, I'm not unsimilar to what's going on today. And so it was like, okay, what's next? And so from English, I sort of went, I looked at journalism and between you and I, that was a little boring. And then, and then from journalism, I shifted over and it was broadcasting. That's how I ended up there and and just from what we're doing right now having conversations it it, it was nice to have that backdrop mm-hmm. and 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 on honestly i i've taught songwriting and i've used some of the the marketing approaches to writing commercial copy mm. because because here okay so so and you guys will know this so when you're writing a 30 second commercial or a 60 second commercial to go on the radio you mention the client's name how many times three Exactly. Three times. (laughs) Right. And so you've got a a 30 second, a 60 second commercial. So somebody writes a song. Now I'll change it. And it is, it's, it's a three minute song. It could be a little under, a little over. Right. But that's the song. How many hook line, how many times do you hear the hook line? How many times do you hear the chorus? Three times. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, so that's sort of the thing is that you're, you basically, uh, you're writing commercial copy, but you're not. I mean, sometimes when I present it that way, people think that I'm taking the mysticism out of songwriting. I'm not. It, it's just you have to be aware that you're, you're telling us you're given a limited amount of time to tell a story. And the template is verse, chorus, half verse, chorus the second time, and then distraction, which is either a solo or a bridge. And you come back with a third solo and the distraction the bridge or the solo makes the third time you hear the chorus different because you come out of a different chord change. Now, this is my take on songwriting. And and that's the simplistic breakdown of a three minute story that you tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can color it in many different ways. You can with arrangement and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, is that kind of the formula that you take when when you are songwriting then? Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, that's that's a pretty constant model. Uh, Scotty could maybe attest to that is that that you like that pretty much any commercial song in country and 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 com- commercial pop music over the last 50 years mm-hmm. pretty much uses that same template right now here's the thing is even when you're teaching somebody in order to teach somebody you you generalize right but then you also have to go in saying there's 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 exceptions to every rule and there will be there, there will be a, a song you can probably tell me right now that has four choruses mm-hmm. or or no chorus. a song that yeah or a song that just has a refrain right scott like yeah. it, it's there'll be some kind of sing-along hook line but it may not be a chorus so yeah. there's yeah so so it's one of those things where I, I think it's sort of neat to know the rules so you can break them. Totally. And 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 that's that's where you're not limited just to that 
you know, that three minute template. But it's a good place to start. So in your in your songwriting process, Jamie, we touched on the three chorus thing, but the hook within that, how many times do, are you conscious of how many times you're actually rhyming off that hook? Well, see, now that's it's funny you bring that up, because sometimes what you can do with the hook line is and, and this is not uncommon where the, the sub chorus or before you get to the chorus. Right. Like the hook line usually will show up at the end of the chorus. Right. Like blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let's say that's our hook. Now, what does happen sometimes is in the verses. I'm telling you a story. I'm telling you a story. And now we're going to change the melody a little bit. I'm telling you another story. But you know what I mean? Yep. Into the chorus. And and that's where the hook line will sometimes happen more than just at the end of the three choruses. Right. And so there I just broke my own <laughs> my own teach, <laughs> my own teaching rule. But that's but but it's one of those things where. If you kind of have a sense of, of what the rules of the game are, then you can you can kind of work with them. Mm-hmm. And and but ultimately too, you need an authentic tonal quality to the to the lead vocal, right? And and you need a a cool. We're we're sort of sorry not to get on this rant here, but but you know that what popular music has brought forward is a conventional way of speaking, like a a, a, a common way of speaking. It's not formal anymore. You know, and, and, and you do get a great classic hook line every once in a while. But for the most part, where I just used, you know what I mean, is the hook line is, is it's very conversational. And I think that's awesome. And it comes down to a lot of the times these days, the words that you choose are ones that sing well. They're not necessarily the words that tell the story as concisely and detailed as you want it to be. But they sing nice, mm-hmm. and and that's really important. And it's phonetic, right? It, it's it's words that, and then the internal rhyme, which you can blame on rap music, which is usually who gets that blame. <laughs> um, where where it's internal rhymes now, like in the old days, it was, you know, blood of the blood of the a, blood of the blood of the b, blood of the blood of the a, blood of the blood of the b, and now you get, I'm going to say, we're going to play. I'm going to day during the, you know, it's, it's like rhyme, 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 B. Yeah. Rhyme, 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 B. And, and that's to a certain extent from the rap world or the contemporary pop music. And, and I, I think that's clever. And I, and I, I enjoy that. I, I've never been a, you know, a, an older person stuck in a traditional time, even though I respect and like traditional country music. If, if somebody can turn it around on me and, and, and I go, wow, that's cool. Bring it on. Now, that said, too, here, I'll turn, hopefully I can turn your head on this one, is that, you know, they they blame, you know, things about this new country music on rap music or the kids or all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And I find it fascinating because for years, so this thing, okay, this new country, right, this, this this was an interview I had during the 80s. And I had the same interview during the 90s with Bob Kingsley. When I was in yeah, Nashville, yeah. That, that's an, that's another story too. But anyway, the thing is that who who created this new country music? Like whose fault is it? And and I and I looked them squarely in the eye and I say Merle Haggard, and and you could see their jaw drop. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, what do you mean Merle Haggard? I said Merle Haggard. And they go, what are you talking about? I said, well, okay, here's the thing, you got to take his three redneck songs out of the mix. Okay, yeah. from Muskoki, right? He's got three classic redneck tunes. Mm-hmm. Now take those out and look at his other 50 songs, 60 hit songs. And he's the guy who, you know, he pushed and pulled. Everything is like da-da-da-da-da, 
da da da. And he's like, I love little tender ducks. Did Haggard write that song? Oh, sorry, I got the wrong guy. Tom T. Hall, yeah. Yeah, sorry, but uh, yeah, but Haggard would push and pull. Yeah, like he, he was very conversational, mm-hmm. and he was he was like really quick, really quick, lazy, mm-hmm. and and that's that conversational thing. Now, sorry, what I was singing was Tom T. Hall, and that's what I wanted to to, to bring next. Sorry, uh, my mind isn't as sharp as it used to be. It's okay, but, Big J, we got you. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> when when they blame rap music for these internal rhymes, right? Yeah. The AAA thing. It's like well. That's what I want to say. You know, I love little baby ducks, and when they cluck, and da da da, trucks and spring. Like there's there's your rhyme right there. Mm-hmm. He's got the three rhyme things. Um, you know, so I guess Tom T. Hall was a rapper. Um, <laughs> the original cool. But I know, and see, this is the thing is, you know, and I I often laugh at this too. Is that you, People go back and they they will quote something from the past, meaning an artist, or they, they look at traditional country music and they'll look at Merle Haggard incorrectly. But they'll go back, uh, you know, to some of this music and they don't go back to enough of it because then they're going to find some some really interesting written songs that actually precursed where we are. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, it, it just didn't come out of left field well the interesting thing about uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Tom T. Hall song because uh, you know you speak about um, knowing rules in order to break them and, and Tom was great at that um, and in that song uh, the third verse is uh, I love honest open smiles kisses from a child tomatoes on the vines you've got those I I I's yeah and onions <laughs> right it's just it's see, it's magical yeah, you yeah, know yeah and and see there you go and that's what he onions is is such a, a harsh <laughs> word and and knowing 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 him he did that you know that you know you get this flow 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 ooh right and jarred yeah and it's jarring exactly and that's that's sometimes too even in songwriting now in with onion even though it's a two-syllable word often a one-syllable word is the jarring word um and 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 if you can get away with that at the end of a line that's always a, a fun little trick too is that the, the the jarring presentation is most likely what you're going for and in the same breath as you're writing a song if i'm writing that with with the three of us writing that together i'm going to say to scotty are you sure you want to do that right like do you want that jarring thing because as we talked about earlier it is more about the flow these days mm-hmm. smoother smoother you know it's like a dance Right. Uh, and, and Taylor Swift really helped that um, introducing a formula. And, and, and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, the, this sort of one, one, two, three, one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That that's what it is these days. It, it's like a dance. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a routine with the lyrics and the melody and the phrasing. And 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 that's that's something that that I thought she was really good at. Yeah. You 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 remember her? You may not remember all the words, but you know the phrasing and the melody to her songs. Do you think that that's why maybe an artist like say Sam Hunt is uh, popular because he's got he he does do that jarring. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Well, it's rooted in hip hop for sure, and and I think yeah. that's that was the interesting thing for me about about Sam, is that you know people were decrying, oh that's not country or whatever. But I think you know for mm-hmm. me, country music has always been about the craft of songwriting and delivering 
you know, a well-crafted yep. lyric in a well-crafted recording. Yeah. And I would I would challenge any of those people to uh, show me one Sam Hunt song that wasn't rooted in the craft. Yeah, I, I think that when, when I heard his first song on the radio, which I just want to take your time, and and I and when I heard it on the radio the first time, I'm kind of going. And now here's the thing: is I like the song, but I was saying to myself, I wonder if radio, like, is this going to be a top thirty hit, uh, or could it be a number one, which it was, right? Right. And and so, but radio did, but it took him a while to warm up to it. It didn't just crash in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that I liked about it was the talky thing, right? Like, yeah, so, uh, 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 so sing a little bit, sing a little, and the now, okay. I hate to break it to you, but rap didn't create that. I mean, there's a lot of classic country songs going back, back, right, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of talking going on. Sure. Um, and and so that part, though, I wondered, I wonder if they're going to like that. But if you listen to what the song was about, it was it was brilliant. Totally. It was like it was it was a great story. It was about mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't want to meet your mother. I I don't want to I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do all the crappy stuff that other guys have done to you. All I want to do is sit here and talk to you. Yeah. I just, I just want to take your time. It's a really romantic song. Totally. And, and that is so country. Yeah. And and that's the part I think that was the saving grace of that tune. And if you look at his tunes, like every once in a while he has a more abrupt uh arranged tune. And he does do that talky thing. But but you know, um uh, I want to park my truck where he used to. Like, there's a lot of songs that have a country element, even though his phrasing isn't. Like, the the, the content is country. Yeah. Body Like uh, a Back and, Road is a great example of that. I know, exactly. And so, and, and what I like about, uh, what I like about Sam Hunt, uh, like, I, I do, th- I think he's, he's good, but he's refreshing. I like the fact that, uh, as I said earlier, I like contemporary country music. I like where country music is these days here's the slight little uh disagreement with it it's all the same occasionally occasionally and and so but i'm saying that carefully because i really like the music and so when you throw a sam hunt or a chris stapleton or something else into the mix uh, a, a midland mm-hmm. uh every once in a while then it it refreshes me it, it kind of cleanses my palate and allows me to stay where I am, and that's that's the only asterisk that I would say to to the country music community that's currently succeeding is make sure you you mix it up every once in a while. I, I like the sameness that they're doing, but just not all the time. Yeah, How's that? Yeah. So okay, so country music has changed a number of times over the span of your career. Uh, <laughs> how how have you, as an artist, as a songwriter? you know as a producer even uh how have you adapted to those changes and and how does the ever evolving state of country music change or or not change the way that you approach your own craft mm. you know it's funny i almost want i'm probably going to choose it it it's not changing in the same breath um i i find it fascinating right now that people are looking at the 90s as as traditional country music and and i kind of go uh, what? what? Yeah, I go, yeah. It's kind of like I was part of that, and and it was as contemporary I thought as it could be at the time. Um, now, in different ways, I guess there's some more traditional elements. Um, but for me personally, I grew up 
uh, with traditional country music. I know it really well, but it was not what I wrote. I was a contemporary country artist in the 80s. I, I was I was a person that felt quite at home between 1980 and 1986. And then things kind of switched uh, where and there's a funny story too. Uh, I was close to signing a record deal with uh, Warner Brothers. They were they were interested in me, um, and I dropped off my first tape when I when I took the three hour drive from Memphis, and and so they ended up uh, passing on me, and they picked another guy. His name was Randy Travis, and and so the interesting thing is that there, there's a connection in the story I'm telling because it got it became Randy Travis and Ricky Skaggs near the end of the eighties and. And, and it was basically people sort of said, thank you very much, Jamie. Uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. It's right. like, oh, okay. And so then I played clubs for four or five years. Um, still, you know, hung out at the studio, wrote some songs. And it was about 1993 where somebody said, you know that crap you were doing in the 80s? I, I think that's country again. It's like, oh, <laughs> okay. And so then I started, you know, focusing on recording and then had a couple of big records in the 90s. And then, it, you know, near the end of the 90s, into the 2000s, it started to evolve again. Now, I don't think this time it sort of flipped traditional as it did uh, the first part of the story I told yeah, you. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so the thing is that I'm not complaining at all, and I don't believe in that. Uh, it's just sort of and, – and, and if you're in it long enough, it, it will have peaks and valleys. And, and I think stylistically I've been relatively consistent. Uh, in the same breath, if you were to take the time – to get past my singles like if you listen to the 11 song uh, accumulation on the album mm -hmm. on the cd i think you're going to find a waltz that's more acoustic or a heavier tune or because i like to have sort of all the above pardon the, the pun that was the title of my last record uh, <laughs> and d all of the above but but yeah i mean it uh, i think that my singles have been contemporarily driven um, but there's, I, I would like to think that I include other versions of music on, on my records. And what I think I've become is maybe a little more country than I used to be. Still contemporary, I, I think. And, and I don't even know what that is. Uh, Amy, Scotty, I don't know. You know, as I make that statement, I think I've, I'm a little more country than I used to be. Maybe it's just in... Um, you know, in acknowledging the new music, mm -hmm. like maybe I just I seem more country because I'm not as commercial or, or not as contemporary as the new stuff. But I think I'm still sort of keeping up that way. So I don't, I don't know. OK, two more questions uh, re <laughs> just just relating back to uh, some of the things that you touched on earlier. I want to know you moved to Memphis. Why Memphis and not Nashville? Well, see, that was uh, it, during my third year at college. I, I was in this talent show in London, Ontario. And, and it, it took me to the Western Fair. And I ended up winning the Western Fair. Um, and this was in September. And that took me to a talent show in Memphis, Tennessee. It, it was called the Mid-South Fair down there. And so, and this is interesting. I, I, remind me, I've got a couple stories here. But they would send two people, the first and second winners from um, London to this fair, as well as from the Calgary Stampede. Right. And so we'd go down there, and I competed in this talent show where I came in second. And so Mid-South Fair owned this little uh, theme park called Liberty Land. And that's where Elvis used to rent late at night and take all his friends, right? Cool. And so 
they, they had a country show there. They have a rock show, an R&B show. And anyway, they offered me a job singing in the show. Cool. Um, and, and I kind of went, oh, okay. So I got early graduation so I, I could take this job down there. And, and how I got early graduation, this is another funny story. I was doing the announcements at the theme park. Huh. That was part of it. So I technically, I, I got, so this is true. So it's I got a broadcasting gig. Exactly. I got to leave my program a month early which was the deal during third year because I had technically a, a broadcasting gig. Yeah. And, uh, and, and now that said too, when I was down there, I, I did uh, jingles down there mm-hmm. and uh, I did uh, voiceover work uh, on top of this little theme park. And man, what a, what an amazing seven months. And I, I would not have left had I not had green card problems because I was offered a gig uh, singing in the jingle factory. That was going to be my, my job right. at the end end of the fall and uh it just it sort of worked that way and and so that's why it was memphis not nashville and then i came back to to canada because that was sort of (laughs) that's the only place i could be for a while right right because i had i had some uh we'll call it green card problems and so so here here's a quick little story so 10 years later i was asked by the mid-south fair to come down and judge that talent show right that i was part of and Mm -hmm. i told you they sent people from calgary and from london so I'm down in Memphis, and this kid came up, a uh, kid. He was like, I think, 17 years old from Calgary. had a cowboy hat. His name was Paul Slipvicky, I think was his name. Uh, and do you know who I'm talking about? Paul Belobersicky is his name. Oh, last thank name. you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Good one, yeah. Scotty. Good and catch. It was, it was Paul Brandt. Yeah. And 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 that was that was the first time I was, you know, had uh, – had met Paul. Right. And cool. so, uh, yeah, he didn't do very well in the talent show, but so he doesn't like when I bring up that story. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm just making a bit, that is true. But that's the other thing too, is that those talent shows are not singing competitions. Like you're, you're up against dancers and jugglers. Sure. And so you just never know whether you're going to get a shot being a singer. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, Bob Kingsley. You mentioned that you had a conversation with him at one point. And yeah. uh, for those who are listening who don't know who Bob Kingsley is, he was the host of the American Country Countdown for many, many, many years. He was the mm-hmm. country equivalent to Dick Clark. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. so I've got to know, what was that like to, to have a chat with Bob? It was really neat. We went to a studio like that. was I was signed to River North in, in Nashville, and which that's I was in, came back to Canada on Mercury. And, and so what they did was they sent me out to do uh, a promo junket, right? So, so for like two and a half weeks, I, I went to Dallas, I went to blah, 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 and, and did these interviews in radio stations. And Bob Kingsley was one of the stops and he, he had a legitimate question. He said, so I noticed more Canadians being signed down here and stuff like that. He said, is there a Canadian sound? Like, can you explain that to me? And, and, and I kind of surprised him because I said, I said, yes, I can. And, and that at first of all, <laughs> I don't think he really expected an answer. And I said, well, what happens in Canada is is that we have 10% of the population that you have here, and we have this CanCon rule where, where the radio stations have to play, at that time, 30% of Canadian content. And so you have to follow me on the population thing, Bob, because what happens is in a population, in a city format, where you have 30 radio stations in Canada, we have six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so then what happens is when, when you listen to the country station, you might get a little pop on your country 
you might get a little in on their pop station because you're trying to broadcast to a group of people. You, you can't have really specific focused formats, right? So then you take that and you combine it with the 30% CanCon, which, which kind of personifies the change. And then you start looking at our East Coast music, which is very Celtic. Yep. That gets thrown into the mix. So it, it makes our music in Canada a little bit different. Um, and whether you want to call it unique, but it was just, it was mostly that is the broadcasting population base. And he had not heard that before. And he said, Oh, well, thanks. Now that said too, that really interesting is that the one place that's like Canada is Texas from a musical standpoint, which fascinates me. If I hear a singer songwriter in the past or even current, uh, that I go, ah, that's kind of cool. I bet you a dollar he or she is from Texas. And Texas, Texas, you don't know what Texas music is. You can't really it, – it is broad-brushed. Mm -hmm. It's all of the above in Texas. And you've got uh, acts in Texas that, that sell 50,000 albums and, and, and do arena shows, and nobody outside of Texas has ever heard of them. Totally. Right. And, and, and that's pretty cool. There's something unique about that. And what happens in America sometimes, too, that, and I've watched it happen with some of our acts, like Blue Rodeo. Why didn't Blue Rodeo go big in the States? Because the people in the States are going, well, is it country? Right. Or is it, Couldn't like, they can't handle, yeah, they can't handle, it took the Bare Naked Ladies three albums before they came through. Um, and it's like, if, if you're in between, Americans go, whoa, I don't know what to do with that. It's like, it's got, it's got to be really specific, right? It's got to fit into categories or they don't want to mess with it. And, and I think in turn, uh, sorry, I'm on a rant here talking, the nitty gritty dirt band, Fish in the Dark, yep. monster hit. Everybody in Canada can sing that song. Mm -hmm. It was an okay hit in the States. Mm -hmm. Like the dirt, dirt band is somebody, Steve Earle, huge in Canada. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't big in the States, but he was always huge in Canada. Right. These are peripheral artists. These are, in the States, they're going, I don't know if Steve Earle's country, right? Uh, dirt bands, they're, they're, they're kind of folky, you know. Um, in Canada, they're just country. Right. And, and I, I, I'm proud of us for that. I, I think that that helps us create unique music now what what happens to us sometimes is we don't have the same success ratio because it's not easily programmed sure. um, it is a little wider but I, I i i pat us on the back for that i think that's something we should be proud of absolutely Okay, Jamie, I think we uh, we should move on to a segment that we like to call Turn Us On, and this is where we get you to tell us about something that you have recently discovered that you can't live without. And it could be a TV show, it could be a band, a musician, a song, uh, something that you've been binge-watching on Netflix. Turn us on, bud. Ah, well, I mean... Wine is pretty good. Um, <laughs> it's all right, I guess. I, I'm just saying. You know, it's funny with this COVID thing. It's it's kind of like we've we've graduated to like I buy boxes of wine now. Cardboard like just, oh. <laughs> oh yeah. Just so that and there's there's I'm not I'm not kidding. There's there's always a full one in the garage just in case. Love it. Yeah. But um I haven't been See, I'm a bit of a news junkie, and I, I find that it's been beating me up a little bit because yeah. of, of how much I watch it sometimes. So in terms of television, I've been missing my shows. Bill Maher has been trying to do live shows, um, and, and I'm a big fan of his. Um, and uh, Trevor Noah, uh, I, I watch <laughs> – there you go. They're all political shows, but they're satirical, right? Sure. Um, but And then golf. 
there's probably my real answer is uh, I, I've always loved golf, but it, it's been nice that they've introduced it again. Yeah, like we, we're allowed to go, and and that uh, that's been my fun. Uh, so it's been sort of my sanity in the last three weeks. If you're turning us on to golf, summarize in like two or three sentences why you love golf so much. Because I know you're just a junkie. Well, okay, so I wish I could tell a short story. You can um, tell a short of course story. You can. Can yeah, right. No, you know what it is for me? It was my. I'm gonna line. It. it was my church. The over the years, I when I started golfing with with my pals and, and the four of us golfed together for almost 20, 20 years straight, and and in our tea time, I'm not making this up, was eight a.m. on Sunday morning, and that's why I would refer to it as my church. And I would golf with nobody else is a musician, and and the other thing is they're all really good golfers, so mm-hmm. it was a competitive round of golf, and I really enjoyed that four hours of walking around outside uh playing a game uh and having conversations with my friends about life not about the music business right but just about life and why i called it my church is it just happened to be sunday morning and and i and so for me you know once a week i don't need to golf four times a week uh i i I enjoy that once a week get out with the guys and then and then we've now Ange and i go um which we've been trying to go on the weekends so um, I'm not like one of those guys that needs to golf five times a week. Right. I, I just, yeah. And I, I enjoy being outside and, and it, it's sort of, yeah, I hope that's a good answer. Absolutely. It's just the, and, 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 the, and the, it is a social game. Mm-hmm. You, you do have conversations. Um, and, and it, and it is just a game. Uh, you won't see me throw my clubs. Right. Uh, I got over that. I got over that as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, cause it is, it is a game. I am comp- like, I, I, I hit a pretty good ball and I, I, I like to compete, but it's just a, it's just a freaking game. Yeah. Uh, and so it's nice to get out with the guys and or guys and girls and have a beverage or two and relax. Love it. Love it. Okay. We've got another game for you. It's called five questions. Don't think too, too hard on it. We're just going to ask okay. you uh, a couple of questions and answer as you will. Ready? I'm ready. Song you wish you wrote. Oh, uh, Sunday morning coming down. Oh. oh, that's a great tune. <laughs> I'm going to stick with golf for just a sec. I uh, Two-part question. What is your favorite golf club in your bag, and what's your favorite course to play? I play Interkip um, on a regular basis, so I'll have to say that's my favorite course. And my favorite club in my bag, um, I'm going to say my 7-iron. Cool. All right. What would be a dream collaboration for you? Well, it won't happen, but I had two people, Roger Miller. Oh. Um, and, and Merle Haggard and, uh, that, that would be, yeah. If you're putting it in the dream category, uh, if you're going to put it in, you know, possible categories, um, Don Henley nice. cool. would be, yeah. Or Cheryl Crow. I'm my such girlfriend. a huge Roger Miller fan. And, and we mentioned breaking the rules earlier. I love roses are red, violets are purple, sugar is sweet. And so is maple syrple. Maple syrple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, see, now there's great stories about Roger Miller. He, he, he wrote some really cool tunes. And and one, like, apparently he enjoyed beverages, um, <laughs> adult, adult, adult beverages. And he was he won, I'm trying to think who told the story, but he had won a bunch of awards at the, at the CMAs, right? And, or whatever they were called at the time. And, and he ended up 
they going out with anyway. He he broke a couple of them and dropped one on the street. And, <laughs> you know, he he won he won four and came home with two. Nice. But I, I like right there. It's like okay, I want to have a beer with that guy. No kidding. Yeah. Chug a lug. Yeah. Okay. What is a condiment that you can't live without? Mustard. Really? Yeah. You can live without ketchup. Oh heck yeah. <gasps> yeah. You know what? It, it's ketchup now. See. Yeah. See, I I'm a real tomatoes guy. If, uh-huh. if, if we're if we're going to talk like a now see now this is a funny because I'm celiac so it's it's tricky for me to talk about a burger or or a hot dog which I I would eat both but I wouldn't put ketchup on either one of them I I'd have a slice of tomato and mustard I don't even know what to do with you right now <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's many kinds of mustard too that's just true this is true I'm yeah. a fan of the great the grainy mustard myself all right last question okay. stage yep. you would love to play. Um, I guess the Grand Old Opry. Yeah. The, the, the classic one, the Ryman Theater. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that that would be a fun place to play. Okay, one more game before we let you go with Jamie. Uh, it's called okay. Lyric or Lie, and you have to sure. decide if what we're reading to you is an actual song lyric or if it's a lie. Oh, okay. I like that <laughs> idea. Okay, ready? Yep. Sunshine, sky, and a cold one in my hand. It's a lyric. It's a lie. Ah. Also, I'm really good at this game. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, all the lies are Amy's handiwork, so. Moonlight, firelight, your hand in mine. See, now, again, uh, okay. I'm going to say it's a song lyric just because it should be. It's a lie. There you go. (laughs) See, now, say say it one more time. Moonlight, firelight, your hand in mine. See, now, that... That's that's the thing is that what we were talking about lyrically earlier. The moonlight, firelight, starlight, mm-hmm. like that. That's because mm-hmm. because those two two lights were back to back. It sounded like a current lyric to me. Got it. I'm gonna uh, on your on your tenth album. I expect that uh, that lyric to be in there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I wrote them all down. By the way, I just... perfect. Amy works uh, word for a third, so you're good. Word for a third. Hey. I'm here. You just give me a holler, <laughs> Jamie Warren. Thank you so much for speaking with us. This was tons of fun. Anytime. Th- thank you. I had a, I had a blast. Man, thanks for the decades of music. I, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've told you in the past what a what an influence you have been on me and my career. And so thank you for the music. Thank you for continuing to make music. And thanks for taking some you're, time this afternoon. Oh, you're, you're welcome. And you keep you keep writing and recording, too. I hear you on CBC. And and, I, and there's more music to come from, from a lot of people. It's sort of uh, it's neat that that uh, Dwayne Steele and, and yeah. Sean Hogan, Charlie Major, Jake Matthews, uh, you know, Adam Gregory. Yeah. We're, we're, we're making new music again. And, and uh, I think that I think that's great. Big shout out to CBC for uh, for giving a home yes. to to artists like us, both emerging I'm, and and established. Absolutely, I mean, and, and it's a good time. And and that said, too, uh, in our evolution of our conversation today, I'm very proud of the current country music artists in Canada. We we've, we've got a good batch of kids, and I I can say kids because I'm old, but <laughs> you know, because uh, I I can call Dean Brody a kid, huh? Uh, but it, but it's one of those things where. We've got some really great singer-songwriters, mm-hmm. and, 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 and good on them all. It's, it's like we rock here in Canada. Couldn't agree more. Thanks, Jamie. You're welcome. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Ciao.
He's always so much fun to talk to. It was really great to catch up with Jamie and hear some of his uh, amazing stories from all of the experience that he has accumulated in his years in the country music world. Totally. And I think this is such a great episode because he has shed so much light on uh, the process of recording, the craft of songwriting, the, the, the ebbs and the flows of country music, and the importance of knowing where we've come from as a genre. It's pretty cool. So thank you so much, Jamie Warren, for joining us on the show. Social media. Let's talk about it. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at the show on the go. Give us a like, subscribe, give us a follow, whatever you want to do. He's Scotty Kipper. <laughs> She's Amy Oust. Welcome to the show.